This podcast is brought to you by Northern Trust Wealth Management. What is the why that drives today's most successful business leaders? Tune in each month to the Road to Why podcast by the Northern Trust Institute, where host Eric Shapea dives deeper with entrepreneurs on their life's work, legacy, and the greater meaning of it all. Find the Road to Why where you listen to your favorite podcasts. Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, it is Friday. It's the food fight. Janet Yellen speaking from the Rocky Mountains of Wyoming. We'll break it down for you. And also, Consecanomics analyzing the Twitter feed of Jose Conseco. This is Money Beat. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Now, financial food fight. Welcome to the Food Fight, everybody. Here we are, uh, Paul Vigna, as as often times I am here. I am here. Uh, Eric Holm, Jack Otter from Barron's, Chuck Jaffe from Market Watch, and our uh, our Jose Conseco beat reporter Chelsea Delaney is here as well. Uh, hello, everybody. Hello, hey, uh, uh, Paul. I got to correct you. That was um, a few decades ago when the journal actually had one reporter for every single important person in the world. They've cut back a little bit since. Oh, right. Yeah. Although I think we I, can I claim half uh, half a beat as my beat as well, covering Jose Canseco until now, until you like. Totally oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric, Eric, has, Eric was on the, yeah. the forefront of Jose Canseco as That's a true. financial and, analyst. And, and Canseconomics, as they as they call it, right, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. well, Chelsea taught me that, but yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Jose a little bit here on the, <laughs> the the food fight. Very interesting. But first, we're going to talk about something, and I have to say, uh, something that listener Mike Adamson, who called us out last week on Twitter for talking about the Fed too much, is not going to be happy with. Sorry, Mike, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you remember that, Chuck? Yeah, no, Mike, I, I wound up having a, the longest Twitter conversation, I think, in history with Mike after oh, that. Oh, really? I didn't oh, even yeah. see that. Oh, all right. Well, uh, Mike, you're going to hate this, but listen, we got to talk about Janet Yellen and the Fed. Janet Yellen gives a speech this morning from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, at the Kansas City Fed's annual confab out in the Rocky Mountains. Market responds to it. Uh, let's just again before I give you my take. I just what, what did you guys? What did you folks make of Janet Yellen today? Well, my initial reaction was that sounds a little bit more hawkish than I would expect. Me too. And then the market quickly rallied as if she was being a dove, and I thought, oh well, I got that wrong. And then the market uh, had second thoughts or third thoughts, and suddenly, last I checked, was down. Looks like we're a little bit in the red now, yeah. and everyone's yeah. thinking, oh well, so maybe a rate hike's coming sooner rather than later. Yeah, there was a lot of confusion. Um, among all asset classes. I mean, I think people initially were focused on, as you said, you know, we're going to get a rate increase and they're not, and then we are. Um, but it, I think it just goes to show like how confusing this entire year has been for, for investors. I mean, people just all the time, people are, are just very confused. And I think, I think markets are pricing in something like, uh, like a 30% chance of a rate increase next month, which is up a little bit, but still probably not as optimistic as people in the Fed would like to be seeing. Yeah. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen? <laughs> Wait, in September yeah, or all year? Right. No, December is the earliest it's going to happen, and meanwhile... This is what makes you confused. Don't you get it? This is confusing you right now, isn't it? Yeah, that's the problem. Is that, and, and at this point, I actually think it's intentional. I think it's intentional. I think they don't want to wind up saying, look, we're not going to do anything political. We've, we've messed this up for so long. 
Rather than biting the bullet, we're not going to do anything until after we get through the election. Fine. But, oh, by the way, the conditions are here that you could have at least one, if not two. Right. I'll believe it when I see it. And not a minute before. Because, truthfully, nothing is going to happen. I, I don't... The, the data has suggested more than once they should do something. They haven't done anything. They're not going to do it now. Yeah, listen, I, I, I think that is a completely justifiable p- position to take, right? I mean, what, what I thought was interesting about this morning is that the, the market decided what they thought of Janet Yellen's speech before she delivered the speech. <laughs> I mean, they right. did the, yeah, we were talking about that in the office, Paul. Right. Features were flat, 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 and then the market opened, and suddenly the, the Dow was up eighty points. The Dow was up eighty points. S and P's up eight or and nine the, and points. The, of course, market opens at nine thirty, but this, the right. remarks didn't come out till ten. Exactly right. So, because when I saw the first headline, Jack, I thought the same thing. I thought, oh, that's kind of hawkish. The market had decided before she even spoke that they were going to read it as dovish. Whether that's the right thing to do or not is another question. But I think that gets to, to Chuck's point of they don't – the Fed has been talking for so long, no one really listens to them anymore and they don't believe it. So the market decides that she's going to be dovish. She comes out. She's a little bit more hawkish than expected. The market ignores it, keeps trading, keeps trading higher. It wasn't until Stanley Fisher, the vice chair, goes on CNBC however much long later – and again reiterates September's on the table, two hikes are on the table, the economy is looking good, that the market decided to take the Fed seriously for today at least. And then you saw the market go back. You saw the market come down. Well, how hawkish was it really? Because I feel like it was just the first headline that said right. the market has strengthened to a point or the, the case has strengthened to raise rates. But she didn't even put a timeline on it. There wasn't any indication of this year. There was no talk of September. So. It, it was Fisher's comments that I think were the ones that actually got people. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it, the, the initial reaction, well, that's just the traders moving on whatever or trying to guess or do whatever so that they can make, you know, they can basically get a BIP here and there. Right. And that's all they're trying to capture is a BIP here or there. But the the later moves are the ones that are perhaps more telling, and it's only because of what they said. And I just, I, I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I I have the sounder for what I wanted to to play for for Stanley Fisher when I heard him. I just, I honestly, this was my thought. You're a moron. Now shut up and sit still. <laughs> uh, seriously, wow. come on. Until Harsh. you come out and do it. Why would we ever believe it at this point? Uh, honestly, right. I think that's probably the ultimate takeaway from the market because, I mean, it's moving up and down a little bit today, but really it's not a huge wild swing that we're seeing today. I mean, it, it, there no, were some no. quick moves up and down, but ultimately up or down 100 points is not sort of a, a massive um, referendum on, on what they heard today. I yeah. think the ultimate takeaway was status quo, which is we'll believe it when we see it. Right. I'm not well, going to something else, though. So leading up for the last couple of weeks, you've had more motion in some of the ancillary rates. Greg McBride from Bankrate.com was on my show this morning, and he's like, Chuck, nothing else is moving right now because basically everyone's recognized it's in stasis, and there just isn't. He goes, like for the first time, and Greg and I have been talking for years, he's like, we really shouldn't bother to talk mortgage rates because they didn't move at all because nobody's even anticipating anything. They've gotten to where they're now ready to sit still. 
I wouldn't fight the Chuck, but I, I do want to point out two <laughs> things. And one is that uh, GDX and some of the gold stocks moved down leading up to this. Some of the bond proxies have been hit a little bit, the utilities and other high yielders. And number two, I think that if he could tell the truth, Stanley Fisher and Jenny Yellen would agree completely with you, Chuck. But I think what they're doing is two things. One, because they're not going to move in September, they at least want to sort of talk the bubbles down a little bit now and prepare everyone. And two, when they do it in December, they want it to be, you know, they want to rival the most anticipated rate hikes in the history of the world so that it is absolutely no surprise. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, actually. Heidi, yeah, Heidi good Chuck. Chuck. It'd be a shame for the Chuck to make you sick. It'd be a shame for the Chuck to make you sick. <laughs> wow. Uh, does all this talk of September anybody, make anybody else think of Earth, Wind, and Fire? <laughs> Thanks. Thank, that's now stuck in my head for three days. Appreciate it. But it's been stuck in my head all. You know. <laughs> Uh, anyhow, let's take a quick break there. We will come back because we need to get into that. That that's that's Fed policy. Uh, there are more important macroeconomics. There is conseconomics. I'm Veronica Dagger, and I want to retire rich. How about you? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. We'll help you get there. For more information, check us out at wsj.com/podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the food fight. And before we get into our big uh, Jose Canseco conversation, I have to uh, address one programming note. A reader last week, Bill Rubin, wrote to me and mentioned, remember how we were talking about hockey? And I had mentioned that the the actual, the, the hockey game wasn't live. No one actually saw it live. I was... I was I was a bit vague about that in and reference Bill, to the the great game between the U.S. and Russia. Is what right, you're about. right, right, right. I guess I wasn't clear about that. And Bill uh, wrote correctly to to correct me on that. The the gold medal game between the United States and Finland in 1980 was live. The USSR game, which it was really, I mean, that was that was the key game. That's the height of the Cold War. That game was not live. That game was was shown tape delay. That explains that explains how I can remember watching the games, which I could exactly. But you were saying, you know, they weren't live. Right. Yeah, no, that's just that one. Right, that's what it was. USSR game was not live. Finland was. So, Bill Rubin, thank you very much for writing in, my friend, and I hope you enjoy listening. Let's move on to. Uh, our Jose Canseco beat reporter Chelsea Delaney. Uh, Chelsea, great A-head story today. And if you don't know yeah. what an A-head is, folks, uh, it's a story on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. We have one every day. It's sort of a quirky, offbeat number. Uh, Chelsea and, and Eric, too, you know, because Eric, I know this is partially your beat. How did the Jose Canseco story come about? Yeah, so Jose Canseco, I guess probably around February, started tweeting about a lot of financial things. He he was tweeting about the Bank of Japan. He had some concerns about their negative interest rate policy. And then he started making some predictions about gold. He was talking about oil, a Vancouver housing bubble, all sorts of things. Um, and I didn't, I had sort of seen them, but I didn't really start looking into it after, until the Bank of Japan's latest meeting, which was in July. And he was making some predictions about what the Bank of Japan was going to do yeah. and all of that. Do, do we need to point out to anybody that Jose Canseco is a Former major league ball player who hit what, how many home runs did he have in his career, Eric? Lots and lots of home runs. He was not five hundred though. No, no, he was the AL MVP. He's also famous for the dome run where the ball went off of his head, and of course, he's <laughs> most famous for writing the um, the the book Juiced, uh, where he he was yeah. the one that sort of really 
touched off um, a lot of the scrutiny about steroid use in baseball. Right. So, so that's what he's known for. But now he is, in his own interesting way, uh, a financial guru. And, he, and I think the most interesting thing about this is that he hasn't been that far off. Like, a lot of his predictions have been fairly accurate. Yeah. And even he has a very— Like what? What has he, what has he gotten right? Okay, so he called for a rally in gold back in February when, like, a lot of people were still very bearish, like Goldman Sachs. All these people were saying that gold was going down, and and he called for this big rally. It didn't quite hit what he thought it was going to, but he sort of had the direction right. Um, mm-hmm. He called. He he was talking about Brexit a couple of days before the vote. Whenever he, all the bookies, all the pundits, everyone was saying it wasn't going to happen. Um, so there, there are a couple, and then he talked about there being a housing bubble in Vancouver, which just this month uh, the Canadian government um, Im- implemented a new tax to sort of deflate. Uh-huh. And he's been skeptical of the Bank of Japan's policies, which um, over time, it, it, you know, it's, we're really learning that the Bank of Japan, much like the Fed, is, is not having the sort of sway over those markets as it, uh, as it hoped to. Yeah, he was very concerned about negative interest rates back in he February. Was. I mean, he, he keeps, was very he, and, upset about right. it. And he keeps going on about it. And yeah. the thing is, he's not saying, I mean, he had one funny tweet where, by the way, he's great on Twitter for other things, oh, too. Oh, he's amazing. It's yeah, one yeah. of the best follows out there. Yeah, yeah. But, but oh, he, yeah? Uh, the, I think his first tweet on the subject, maybe, maybe it wasn't the first one, Chelsea, you would know better than me, but yeah, negative interest rates is blowing my mind yeah, he's, or something. Japan's <laughs> negative interest rates are blowing my mind right now. <laughs> Um, but from there, he's gone on and, and he's he's speaking the language of the central bankers in his tweets, which, uh, as you pointed out, Chelsea, some people aren't aren't convinced that he's the one writing all of these tweets, right? Right. And it, because a lot of the things he's saying are like incredibly complex monetary policy and yeah. sort of things that you would have to be following the markets very closely. And, and nobody there was just no real signs of where he got this knowledge from. So some people have questioned if he had a ghostwriter. His manager says no. 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 The, the voice, I will say, also kind of made me wonder if there's a Cyrano back there somewhere. He sounded to me like a bond trader, not like a guy who had a different career and now follows yeah. the market. Cyrano I, to Bondiac? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Let's just point out that this sort of shows the folly in anything that is based around this stuff is the idea that, okay, we can now tell you the times when he was right, but we can't tell you the times when he was wrong. Why? Because until he got something right, nobody cared. So it kind of shows that, like, okay, you want to take a couple of chances, make it that you get something right, and oh, by the way, it's kind of like Jose Canseco, the baseball player. Now, I can't tell you how many things he's gotten wrong, because we don't know. Right. Yes, yes. But... But I'm betting his batting average is not any better and that he strikes out with the kind of regularity. Oh, he he hits prodigious home runs. But, well, there is you know, some evidence of his of his striking out. He did go bankrupt. He went through bankruptcy <laughs> in 2012. But, that, um, but again, that's not something where he – his bankruptcy is you can't manage money. You know, or what? Right, it's right. not, oh, I went <clears throat> bankrupt because – I, you know, bought puts that I was talking about on Twitter, et cetera. I mean, if, if you're going to follow him on Twitter, this, this is the reason you follow this. I, just think of this as Jose Canseco's voice about why you follow Jose Canseco. Because you, like me, can't get enough of me. <laughs> I can get enough of, of Jose Canseco. In fact, I've already read enough. I, the story was great. Don't get me wrong. But, you know... 
there, there are, it's bad enough when you get somebody who does, remember the story about David Einhorn, the guy who runs Greenlight Capital? Which story about David yeah, Einhorn? The, the one where, the one about his Twitter account, where he basically only tweets about playing poker. Yeah. But somebody created a fake Twitter that was basically at Greenlight Cap, and people were following it because they thought it was David Einhorn. And then at some point when it was an opportune time and it tweeted a bunch of things to try to build that following, and then at an opportune time it sort of dropped the hint, moved the stock, et cetera, and then the SEC came out and said, yeah, that wasn't actually David Einhorn, <laughs> you know, all those yeah. other sorts of things. That's how this happens. Yeah, that's so, that's a good point, and I, I don't think anybody should be taking Jose Canseco's financial advice, probably, and nobody that I talked to was, but I think people just in general were just kind of, like, fascinated can, by... Can, can we talk for a moment about uh, Jose Canseco, the haiku poet? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's he was he's very concerned about the Bank of Japan, so he wrote a, he wrote a haiku. Um, we don't think there was a ghostwriter for that, do we? I don't know, you know... So we think Jose Canseco can define haiku? Well, you know, there are many questions about this haiku. Uh, <laughs> do you have it in front of you, Chelsea? I don't. I, I don't. Do, okay, I do. I do. So he tweets, my Bank of Japan haiku. Negative interest, next helicopter money, Kuroda, Kuroda von Mies, which is a, a, a reference to the Austrian economist uh, Ludwig von Mises. I think it was on me. I may be pronouncing There's definitely it wrong. an S. I think he yeah. dropped so, the so S. So he dropped the S. But my, my question actually is, did he get the reference correct? Like, I don't, aren't, aren't, I don't know what but he's aren't, to aren't the Austrian economists well known for being like extremely conservative, hard money types? It's called the Austrian school, yeah. Right. So they're not helicopter money types, are they? So Kuro, why he only had so many Mises? syllables there, Paul. Maybe well, he was trying to, <laughs> to to say to issue a warning. Who I mean, he leaves it wide open. That's the beauty okay, of the haiku. We, can we trust a Jose Canseco haiku? That's my question. Well, is it even haiku though? It depends it on even, how you right, pronounce right. like n- negative interest. Yes, right. <laughs> so, like how many syllables you give that? Because it might not be depending on how. Right, you I didn't. That. I didn't even count. Is this a five seven five? Is it how? If we can't trust his haiku ability. <laughs> <laughs> well, how am I supposed to trust him on economics? Okay, guys, I'm calling a market top. If if we're sitting here at the Wall Street Journal having this conversation, <laughs> something bad is about yeah. to happen. <laughs> well, you know what I thought was interesting, too, Chelsea, and you pointed it out in the story, that you tried to get him to, to comment for the story. I did, yeah. Yes. And it's I think it's a pretty hard line. Like, he won't comment. He won't go on any TV shows. He won't do anything unless he gets paid for unless it. Unless he gets paid so. for it, right. Yeah, he was so the Wall Street Journal passed on that opportunity. Right. We did, yes. and he has yet he hasn't been on Twitter in days. No, he hasn't. I set up an alert on my phone, so I'll hear about it when he does. But um, he's he's not he's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. This story went live uh, more than twenty four hours ago. I know. And I was expecting some sort of tweet storm, but I haven't uh, heard anything. You know, it's probably somebody who has seen his Twitter feed and has contacted the the guy who's mentioned there to be able to spend a weekend with Jose. He's probably already gotten <laughs> off. So, what was it that I played for the Fed, right? Is uh, I said I said this about Stanley Fisher? You're a moron. Now shut up and sit still. There you go. That's Jose Canseco too. Wow. So in in one podcast you've insulted the vice chairman of the Fed and a guy <laughs> who almost hit 500 home runs, not quite 500. Actually, before we go, uh, this is it. Before we go, I got to look this up. 
I, I got to know how many home because runs did this guy hit? Because better than than live talk of some where where yeah. we get to hear you. Well, 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 oh, you hear me get to go? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well you, I expected Eric Holm to know this off the top of his head. I'm, I'm very sorry, disappointed. man. Very disappointed. It was like right under 500, right? It was, and I remember like they wouldn't. No one would sign. He wanted to get one last contract to get to 500. 462 home runs if you don't count the one that bounced off of his head when he was in the outfield and well, went over the outfield wall. Well, we have to count that one, right? <laughs> he <laughs> now, he plays softball now. Him. He's a big softball player. Is he? Yeah. And he he's done a lot of stuff since retiring. He did, like, martial arts. He was on a Celebrity Apprentice. He did all sorts of and stuff. And he weighs in about Yellowstone National Park being the next Pompeii. Yeah about terraforming Mars. He's really into NASA. He wow. asked NASA to, like, he, he, he was trying to get NASA to send him to the moon or something, so. Jose Canseco, the, the, the Martian. I don't think we should rule out that it really is him writing these tweets, is all I'm saying. Yeah. It's more fun to think of it that way, too. Well, look, I mean, you know, not to, to disparage what we do, but it's not impossible that somebody could just kind of pick up the world of finance on their own. Right? Oh, come on. It's, imp- it's totally impossible. <laughs> we are all geniuses. <laughs> right, right, right. Nobody else can do it. No one else can do it. Right, right. Of course not. Of course Paul, not. Jeez. I know. All right. Uh, let's leave it there. I want to thank everyone for listening. We always appreciate it. And look, if you want to uh, you know, if you want to write us, you can you can email me, Paul.vini at WSJ.com. You can follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And listen, also, uh, go to WSJ.com slash podcast. We have a lot of ones out there to offer for you. Your Money Matters, Free for all speakeasy heard on the street tech news briefing uh chuck jaffe you have a great podcast too why don't you plug that one real quick while we're here it's called money life with chuck jaffe all of the same basic providers where you can find the wsj stuff you can find ours you can go to moneylifeshow.com there you go perfect all right everyone have a great weekend and we'll catch up with you next week thanks for listening wsj podcasts listen ambitiously